0: You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to VillageChurchBaltimore.com. Welcome to our resurrection service as we uh, celebrate the risen Savior on this Lord's Day, on this Easter Sunday. Uh, my name is Dan. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at the Village Church. So we're really glad that you could join us today. But we are, again, glad that we could get together, even in these different ways to be able to celebrate the risen Christ today. It is the pinnacle, the high point of the Christian calendar, and we love being able to do this. Um, so, again, as we celebrate the risen Christ, there's so many, every different gospel book looks into it. We're going to read from John chapter 20, so I invite you... Uh, You can either see on the screen or if you have your own version. Starting in John chapter 20, verse 1. And again, this is assuming the knowledge that Jesus has died on the cross on that Friday before. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So even as we recognize a stone, this is not a small thing. This is a large stone that's in, in front of the tomb. It's been moved. She knows something's going on here. And we see, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Just I I find this fascinating. So we know that the author of this book, this gospel, is John, one of the disciples, one of the first followers of Jesus. And so when it says the other disciple here, that's John. We we don't know exactly the reasons. It might have been just with a lot of us. It's awkward when you encounter people who speak of themselves in the third person. And maybe John didn't want to write about himself that way. But he and Peter, they hear Mary and they run. I, I love even that one disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. I imagine other disciples reading this have to say, no, no, what? so Jesus don't love me too? Just you, John? But whatever it is, they, they hear Mary. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I don't know if that was a little flexing on John's part. You know, he got there first. He outran Peter. Peter had to shape up. And stopping, stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand a scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So um, maybe some of you can identify, I love watching movies or TV shows, particularly ones that involve twists. And we love twists, the unexpected turns in the plot that come out of nowhere. And when you look back, you're like, oh, I see how they work together. But at the moment, it catches you off guard. And when we're on social media, for instance, and we're watching our favorite show, but you're working, you couldn't watch it live. You get mad when people reveal those in present time. You're like, yo, 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 that's a twist. That's, that's, that's a surprise thing. Don't let me in on it. I want to see it myself. And you know, as we think about that, if, if this story of the resurrection of Jesus is new to any of you who are who are watching this, it'd be understandable if you thought this was a complete surprise to everyone involved. You know, maybe you would think this is the most epic of twists. I mean, no one thought this was gonna happen, that this this incredible teacher and leader, this rabbi, he would die. But yo, he surprised everyone, and out of the blue, he rose from the grave on the third day. What a twist! But here's the thing, though, is if you read before this throughout all the narratives of Jesus and his followers and his teachings, this epic twist, I mean, it was surprising, but it really wasn't a full twist. Jesus had communicated and told his followers, guys, yeah, you know, we're moving here and God is doing amazing things, but the Savior is going to have to die. I'm going to have to die, but then I will be raised again on the third day. So Jesus had promised this is coming. Even though he had done that, um, it, it's fascinating to me that, you know, Jesus' words seem to have come true, how he taught his disciples. But even so, even though he had pressed upon them what's going to happen, they're kind of like, yeah, but... Like, even though they see an empty grave, it, the tomb is empty, um, they're kind of like Mary, and they're like, okay, well, he's gone. Someone must have moved him. I mean, they believe her they're still not quite sure because as it says here, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Even to his closest followers, the idea that this Jesus rose from the dead, it rocked their world. I mean, it was just hard to believe. So if any of you are watching this and and you're honestly in your heart, you're like, you know, I love that part about Jesus says to care for the poor, be generous, forgive your enemy. I love all that stuff. But yo, the idea that this Jesus could rise from the grave. That's, man, I have a hard time with that. It's, it's not just you. This is an unnatural thing. This is something even his closest followers who were taught that it would happen didn't fully comprehend. But what we find out as we read further, if you want to, I would encourage you on your own. What we learn is that eventually Jesus reveals himself in resurrected bodily form to all of his followers. Those closest to him, they, they come to him in the flesh and this amazing things happens. These disciples, these followers of Jesus, yo, they just snap. I mean, they absolutely lose their collective minds. Cowards become courageous, The, the ashamed, they become bold. I mean, they're transformed and they are dispersed to go transform the world. And it, it, again, it's a fresh reminder for me as we think about what does it mean to be transformed. Um, sometimes we create transformation with a lot of head knowledge, learning a lot, maybe going to schools to learn. And that's all wonderful if you have the ability to avail yourself to that. But yo, these disciples... They got like the best seminary education ever. Professor Jesus for three years. They learned under his feet. They heard every teaching straight from the mouth. There was no interpretation needing. He gave parables. And it's not like you and me were like, well, what's that mean? They had the teacher to actually explain what the word of God meant because he was God. Yet still, they did not experience this ultimate kind of transformation. They were still left in disbelief. But I'm going to suggest that the event of this bodily resurrection of Jesus on the third day, it was what transformed his followers from fear-filled into world changers. The encounter with the risen Savior changed them from their inner core outward till they couldn't help but be different. And I want to just invite you and and put this out for you. In the same way, I think for us, Christ's resurrection, it, it is a historical, pivotal event upon which our own faith hinges. Just like the first disciples, you and I, us as well, collectively, we are transformed and changed when the resurrection of Christ becomes real to us as well. So even as our brother mentioned this past Friday, it was, it was just a beautiful time for our community to get together online and experience meditating deeply on the sacrifice of Jesus. And, you know, that idea of a sacrifice, a martyr, a hero, it, it moves us in our deepest being. I mean, it's not just a Christian thing. It's the core of many of our greatest stories. And it's what's made some of our most famous figures in history legends. But, but here's the thing, for the Christian faith, if our st- understanding of this Christianity, if it just ends at a noble sacrifice, if it's ultimately just about this um, you know, sacrificial love that Jesus showed on the cross, we're not getting the complete picture. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, for instance, the Apostle Paul, he expresses the importance of the resurrection. Look what he writes in verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. And he if you look at the whole uh, chapter, he just really digs into it. He's saying, yo, we can talk an amazing game about who Jesus is, but if we don't really preach this, we're not preaching the correct message. Because resurrection... For the Christian, it's not just symbolic, as, as much as it might be, but it's not just symbolic. It's not just metaphorical to God's message because we belong to this historical movement which believes that there was this Jesus Christ. He wasn't a fictional character. He was real, but he died for the sin of a broken and rebellious humanity. And as he died, he was buried in a tomb in in mummified form. He was wrapped in layers upon layers of cloth, and he was laid to rest in peace. And and let's be clear, he had done enough in life that um, for any person's story, it was rest well-deserved. If that was it, I mean, he would have had his place in history. He would have been memorialized like other wise and sacrificial heroes. The thing is, a martyr's death wasn't to be the end of this hero's story. Every other sacrificial martyr and hero throughout history, that was it, and we remember them fondly. But for this hero, this wasn't the end. Jesus conquered death by rising from the grave on the third day. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. No one stole the body. Jesus got up by the power of God, and he exited the tomb. And why that's so important is without the resurrection of Jesus, all this that we do, even as a church, it changes. It's different. Um, without the resurrection of Jesus, maybe we've got this like really nice philosophy for, for, being, a moral, uh, for being moral humans, you know, based on the teachings of the sage. This wise Jesus, or maybe perhaps what, what happens, we're motivated by the example of this selfless martyr, Jesus Christ, and we look to him to inspire us when we don't feel like giving ourselves to other. We look to Jesus, and we, oh yeah, look what Jesus did. And and you know, we need to be better citizens of this global community like Jesus was. And and I want to affirm all of that is good, it's true, but in the end, if we confess a faith which lacks the power of Christ's resurrection. Christianity, it's really not all different than any other religious system out there. And this might sound, um, maybe it even sounds kind of heretical to some of you, but if Christianity is just about making people better, honestly, it's no better than any other religious system out there. And some of you, maybe you're listening and watching and you fully understand this because this is some of why it's hard for you to hear Christians who say, follow Jesus like me so you can be a better person. And, and the thing you're feeling as you're listening, you're like, uh, you know what? Actually, the, that, that woman who's uh, here into that religion, they're better than a lot of Christians I know. They're a lot more sacrificial. Yo, they're in the middle of COVID-19 at the hospital, like sacrificing their well-being to care for people who are sick. They know they could get like impaired by this, but they're doing that. So you telling me that, that the Christian is a better person than her? Or... Maybe the religious belief system is not even an organized religion, but it's just the religion of self, about being a good person. And maybe some of us, we're like just really a self-controlled individual. And you've got your life. You are on the track to success. You've worked hard at everything you've ever done. You haven't fallen to addictions. You haven't been lazy. You work out. You look like you'd be a cover of a muscle magazine. I mean, you've done everything you're supposed to. Marriage is smooth. And you look at Christians who are supposed to be the epitome of a good life. And you're like, I, I got all that. I didn't need um, to you know, worship like a Harry Potter kind of in the sky God to have that. I'm, I'm, I got my life under control. I'm rich, I've got health, I, I'm taking care of my responsibilities, I add to the global community, I, I'm good. And all that might be true, but here is what sets the good news of the Christian faith apart. Though it was with little initial fanfare, I mean, there wasn't like a a, a throng of followers around there waiting for Jesus to come like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't that. It was like a few followers who were going. Everyone expected this deal was done, but don't be misled. When the tomb was emptied, everything changed. Everything changed when Jesus rose from the dead. The cosmic proclamation was that God was reclaiming the beautiful truth of the original created order. That in a world that had become polluted and tainted by by sin, the resurrection, it was the foundation for renewed way of life in every possible way, whether moral or cultural or political or social. The resurrection, it is our basis for hope in what often feels like a hopeless world. Even in a world shut down by a virus, this is why we can hope. And it's why the church gathers in hope. The poet John Updike, he wrote something, I I thought I loved it, where he said, if Jesus's cells dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. Wow! But I would add as a corollary, but if Jesus's cells did reverse, the molecules did re-knit, the amino acids did rekindle, then the church will stand. Even if our legs feel wobbly, we stand in hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. So that's big universal picture. Resurrection is true regardless of how passionately and elaborately we celebrate it. And I love elaborate, like say Easter day celebrations, you know, bring out the bunnies. I know some people got a uh, opposition to bunnies, bring out all the bunnies, bring out all the eggs, bring out all the candy. Let's just blow it up. It should be the biggest celebration, like wedding day every year, right? We celebrate, but the thing is we don't need that for the resurrection to be true. It's true, even if rooms of worship like this are empty all over the globe right now. Because resurrection, it doesn't need fancy bells and whistles to validate it. It is hope universal, regardless of how much we feel we're adding it, adding to it or feeling about it. But Here's the thing, as, as true as it is universally, I would also add for those who would believe, it's a very personal story of hope. Look at um, continuing in verse 11. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And you know, as this story here opens, I'm just reminded the nature of grief is that it's so lonely. Yo, Peter, John, they're supposed to be like leaders of this church. And they just leave this grieving woman there. They went home, but she stayed there weeping outside the tomb. And some of you who've been through grief, you know how lonely you can feel that no one is there with you. And it's just you and your tears. And that's where Mary's at. Such pain and loss for this deeply devoted woman. She has lost something beautiful. And you know the thing is, you and I, maybe you've read ahead, you know how this all goes. It it would be easy perhaps to say, "Yo, we know how the story turns out. Mary, it's okay. It's going to get better. Just be a little patient. Um, But those of you who have been through sorrow, through mourning, perhaps you've even lost a loved one. You know that people can give you the deepest and most right theological truths, but still it doesn't take away some of that feeling of anguish. Even if you know that things are better in hope, you you have great faith. Still, it doesn't make you feel any better, right? You're still sitting in the grief and the tears and the loss and the heartache. And and, and I'm saying that because I want you to hear the very real sense of loss in this woman's cries. Because none of us, Mary speaks for us, even if we know our theological truths that are so foundational and good, and we, and we believe in that, we affirm it. Still, it reminds us that none of us in the original created order were created to be able to understand death. Death was a foreign concept that entered with sin that was not part of how god originally created humankind. That, yeah, you know you're going to get a few years. So live it really well because at the end it's going to your body's just not going to be there. He, that wasn't the way. It was meant to be eternal walking with god. Grief is a foreign concept. But imagine in that grief for Mary what it must have felt for her to feel this sorrow. to to taste the salt of her tears running down her face, and yet she hears the voice that she recognized. She heard the voice of the one that she thought was gone forever, that someone had stolen his body away, speaking her name, Mary. Imagine the surprise, the joy, the kind of shaking her. I know when I first lost my father, I had actually a dream once. I had a dream that I was talking to him and I woke up and I was just shocked. I was like, cause it felt so real. And then the, the stark reminder that he's not here anymore. It was too much. Maybe Mary's that maybe she's I hearing things, whatever it might've been. But for Mary, it came together to understand, even though it seemed like death had won, death has not won. Death has not won. God has, God has even defeated this sting of death. And in the same way for each of us who would place our hope in the resurrected Christ, uh, I hope it can help you to recognize the beauty that's even ready to be discovered in our darkest, our, our most hopeless, even our most unexpected times of life. And maybe some of you are right there right now. Like you have not prepared for this. Because hope it it doesn't just endure terrible situations. It doesn't just give you enough to kind of get through it. It it is at its heart optimistic. Hope is optimistic. Hope believes that something different and something even better is genuinely possible even in the midst of loss. Because what what hope means is that our future, it is not dependent on what our finite eyes see as presently possible. But hope believes what is possible for a God who rules over nature itself. And in that sense, Christian hope is at its core creative. Christian hope understands and believes that new things will always come out, even out of the darkest situations. It believes and expects that there will be new, even new life. And that's one of the reasons why we continue to encourage in all seasons, but I think particularly now for our church, yeah, it's so important to be in community. And just lest we uh, misinterpret, community is not, yo, you have no friends, so I hope the church can provide you some friends. Maybe that's true for a few of you, but it's deeper than that. It's much more, it's this sense of in the midst of life, When each of us individually, you might go through seasons that say, there is no hope. I don't even know if there's a God. Because if there's a God, why is everything trash like this right now? It is just so hard. I don't even know if I have that shred of faith to believe anymore. Community is being with others who share these same core values about who Jesus is and reminding one another, don't give up. Fix your eyes on him. I know you're going through the ringer right now. And maybe the thing is, we're all at different places. Maybe sometimes you're in community with those who are having a far more real time of seeing God and you need those people, but you also need those who you're helping to hear their stories and being reminded of a God who makes things new because we are so proud to forget. And we need one another to remind one another of hope. Again, You know the one equalizer right now, COVID nineteen. It, I can't remember something that literally globally has affected every single person in some way, and it's a great equalizer, probably in the most harsh extent, the great equalizer of death. And it reminds me, just you can be born in whatever country, you can be privileged. Or you can be in poverty, you can be born with whatever color skin, you can be born in any caste system, you can be born in any religious system. But the one equalizer, among a few others, but the one guaranteed equalizer is that every single one of our lives in this flesh comes to an end. Sometimes sooner than we thought, sometimes longer than we had planned. But the one guarantee is it comes and it is harsh. It is harsh. It doesn't matter how blessing of a homegoing it might be. Every person becomes associated with grief at some point and, and the pain of things like COVID-19 or even cancer or automobile accidents or, or disease or, or, or murder, all these things. is No one is ever ready for it. No one is ever ready for this thing of death as much as we say we are. But I think what COVID-19, is, I, I hope, is also doing, it's, it's putting a greater valuing of human life. And that's why I have a personal just frustration when when COVID-19 just becomes a lot of statistics. And I've even seen people get really geeked out about the charts and the graphs and the numbers. And I'm like, that's fine, let's do that. But don't forget every single person who is losing their life, whether through this horrible virus or any other means is an image bearer of God. And when they lose their life, it's something that should sting us to our core because we were not created to understand that. There should be even a deeper grief, even a deeper sorrow, because we understand that's not how God intended things to be. We were not supposed to be familiar with that kind of loss. But what the resurrection points us to is at the same time, there can be a profound joy that even the darkness of death cannot eclipse. Why? Why? Because we are a people who are resilient in hope. And hope has a name and his name is Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Jesus conquered sin and death to rise from the grave. And that's what we remember here. That in some sense he is our model. That Jesus himself, though he lost this bodily life, life was brought back to his body. And it's the promise that all who are in Christ will ultimately have eternal life. Whatever happens to our bodies on this earth, eternal life together with God and with others who are part of that community. And as we just bring that message home, wherever you're sitting today watching this, as we've mentioned, we're not doing communion During this season, as we rather than coming to the Lord's Supper, not that we think a church doing that is necessarily bad, but for us, we're choosing not to partake in the elements because we want to remember what it is when we come together and we celebrate in that. But rather than doing the Lord's Supper today, I'm going to ask you wherever you're sitting today to come to the Lord in hope. Respond to the Lord in hope. Come to this one, this Jesus who changed history and he will also transform you as you put your trust in him. I'm going to invite our music team to come up and lead us in a few songs as we respond to this message. And as they do that, I'm going to invite you right now. Look at your life. Just to be very honest, maybe in the quietness of your own soul and your own mind. What is an aspect of your life that you have lost hope that things will change? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's in the midst of this virus. Maybe it's something having to do with the nature of how society changes. Maybe it's your own soul and your own life, and you've kind of given up that there could ever be true transformation and change. Can I invite you in this time as we sing, as we pray, to point your eyes to the one who has even commanded death to obey how much more so can he take your life and transform it? So submit yourself to him today. Maybe it means lifting up things that you have looked to to be your functional savior instead of Jesus and saying, God, thank you for reminding me and this can't save me, but you can be my hope. So as we sing this song right now, the idea of it is God taking these things that seem so broken, so dark, but bringing life out of it. I want you to, I want to invite you to think about what are some of those things in your life and invite God to say, God, this is yours. Bring life out of this. Let me have the resurrection to help me believe that change is possible because I saw it in Christ himself.